Hey listeners, just jumping in quickly before the podcast to notify you about the BodyTrack Academy educational webinars that we have available via Eventbrite. We cover a variety of topics ranging from oncology, musculoskeletal rehab, neurological rehab, mental health performance and much more, all of which you can access 24-7. That means you can purchase the webinar and watch it at any time that suits you. You can claim our webinars as PD points via SS self-assessment tool and as a valued listener of the podcast, you're entitled to $10 off any of our webinars, but do hurry because the code is only available to the first 10 purchases. Just use the code FIRST10. So head on over to Eventbrite and browse our webinars. The link is in the show notes and on the BodyTrack Academy Facebook page. I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the terrible people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the BodyTrack Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the BodyTrack Academy. Happy listening. Welcome to another episode of the BodyTrack Academy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hart, and I'm joined today by Caitlin Clark, our exercise oncology specialist. Caitlin, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for allowing me back. Always. Now, <laughs> uh, we're being our exercise oncology specialist, today's podcast is going to be all about oncology, and in particular, we're talking about prehab. So before we get into the pod, though, I thought we'd change things up here at the Academy and ask a question at the start of our podcast which will unveil the answer at the end or probably between uh, in between the podcast as well along the lines because for those active listeners, it should come out um, during our conversation. But the question is going to be, at what stage of the cancer care continuum is most recommended to start with a cancer care patient? So stay tuned throughout the podcast to hear the answer at the end. But moving on to today's topic, um, we understand there's going to be a lot of importance on prehab for a joint replacement or an upcoming surgery. Caitlin, today we're going to pick your brain about the emerging evidence around prehab for uh, differing cancers but per, per se or uh, going through oncology. So I wanted to start by going through what does prehab for cancer treatment actually look like? Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Dan, and it's really important to kind of think about it a little bit in the context well for someone that is um, about to have joint replacement surgery we try to do what we can to increase their reserves and their capacity um, so that following the surgery when there's inevitable recovery period um, and the physiological impacts of the surgery themselves that uh, itself that we can get them back to their most optimal level of function as quickly as possible and possibly even get them to a higher level of function than they would have been um, going into the surgery without any intervention. And we, we know from, um, joint replacement surgeries and even ACL 
sort of styles of, of management that we do get good outcomes um, uh, for patients post-surgically and in the rehabilitation um, space. So that's something to keep in mind also for oncology patients because it is not uncommon for oncology patients to go through um, some form of um, surgery, particularly our breast cancer patients, particularly our female um, gynecological cancer patients, our prostate cancer patients. Uh, um, it's absolutely not uncommon to um, be diagnosed and be advised that um, later down the track they will be um, going through a surgery, which creates a pretty opportune time for us to be able to introduce that concept of prehabilitation and try to intervene as early as possible and try and really improve their outcomes um, following the surgery. Outside, yeah, so outside of the context, sorry, Dan, um, outside of the context of surgery, we can also gain benefits for other types of treatment as well. So, um, uh, so for our medical kind of um, medical oncology types of treatments, so chemotherapy interventions, immunotherapy, similar sorts of things, um, trying to intervene as early as possible in reserves because prehabilitation is really about trying to increase, create an extra physiological buffer so that we have higher reserves for the recovery period post-surgically as well. So theoretically we're creating a little bit more capacity that can then account for um, post-surgical decline, post-surgical atrophy, um, inevitable decline that can occur um, to then improve um, their outcomes following surgery and hopefully they will be um, in a fairly good good state to recover optimally um, and with minimal minimal side effects. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. That was sort of where I was going to lead to. Have you noticed uh, is there any evidence showing a difference between prehab for uh, a cancer surgery versus prehab for cancer treatment, um, such as going through the, the various different forms of, um, say, radiation or chemotherapy? Is there is there a difference that's known in the literature, or is it as a general prehab for yeah. both are going to be going to be good outcome? Yeah, and it'll just be a little bit different in terms of the timeline. So. For example, um, for a breast cancer patient, they may have um, something called neodymic chemotherapy. So they might start with chemotherapy um, and then leading into um, surgery. So it might be a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Um, and then that is followed potentially by radiation as well. It just depends on the individual um, at the individual's diagnosis, staging, et cetera, as to their treatment timeline. So if we use that example um, of chemotherapy, um, for uh, 12 weeks um, and then surgical intervention um, and then in the fairly fairly soon after commencing radiation. If we um, see this patient kind of fairly soon after diagnosis and they're just about to start chemotherapy, we can really kind of get them started with the intervention. They're aiming for strength hypertrophy kind of outcomes, really trying to get them orientated um, with starting a strength program as, as soon as possible. So that's in place, getting started, really trying to maintain and, um, as much lean muscle mass and bone mineral density throughout their treatment as, as possible. If they haven't already started strength training, if they have, then you might just reorientate it um, a little bit more and maybe just try and optimise what they're already doing. 
But then during that time, simultaneously, because we know we've got surgery coming up, so they've got a mastectomy um, after the um, 12 weeks of chemotherapy, we can already get started with some specific upper quadrant-based work or cervical or thoracic, wherever they've kind of observed a deficit, um, so that we're really trying to make sure that the um, upper body is as optimized as possible leading into um, that surgery. We've got time. We've got 12 weeks. So we've got a really meaningful period of time to really make some good change um, through through the upper upper body and through the chest wall and the upper back as well. So that would be a time. It's not too early t- to assess their upper quadrant range of movement, their cervical range of movement, their thoracic range of movement, how that's relating to have they had any shoulder pathologies um, and just really getting a good baseline number one but then really starting to um, add and incorporate that into your um, exercise protocol um, kind of throughout that chemotherapy period leading into that surgery as well. Yeah. Yeah, great. So basically I'm, I'm sensing the, the similarities there between a preham for a joint replacement or or a um, or an upcoming surgery that's not cancer related. We we know the benefits there. Um, I often like to paint the the picture to clients where you know this is the capacity that you could reach. We're going to have an inevitable dip in our capacity post surgery or treatment. Um, but the differing effect of prehab is that you're going to be starting at a higher base than someone who doesn't do that. So. We're seeing the similarities now with cancer patients. Am I am I getting that correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Sure. And it just yeah, it's 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 real. There's a really um there's a really great infographic um that we have included in our um in our education our cancer care um treatment and treatment side effects um, management um, educational webinars as well that goes gives a l- little bit more of a visual kind of overview of how beneficial mm-hmm. rehabilitation can be and kind of really goes into this topic in a little bit more um more depth as well so yeah definitely recommend kind of checking that one out and um because it's something that you can either draw for a patient or or use um uh as, as a resource um in yeah. your in your clinic as well um so yeah i think having that kind of creating that visual for a patient that if we really say build yourself up to him then we only drop ourselves down a little bit with the inevitable kind of decline that has to occur with the surgical intervention or just the minimal um decline that has to occur as opposed to starting from your current baseline dipping down and having to try to build up further we may never actually reach that point potentially depending on yeah yeah complicated and different things so and then on the same kind of um uh, on the same kind of wavelength as well like really reducing the risk for complications so in an oncology sort of setting like things like lymphedema and and cording and um, musculoskeletal pain and pathology um as well so there's a few big attractors to trying to get in as early as possible mm, for sure now th- the thing that i'm also picking up here is I think we have clients and our listeners who probably can attest to this is there seems to be quite a lot of importance placed on those clients who might be going for a joint replacement. I'm just continually using that, that example in this situation, Caitlin, but from, from your clinical perspective and being in an exercise oncology space, do you feel like there's the same level of importance of prehab 
for cancer treatment or cancer surgery currently or is that a is that a is that a field that's a little bit uh, foreign and we need to really really kind of promote yeah no i think what's been really interesting is honestly in the last couple of years and probably even more in the last 12 months we're getting more referrals really early in the piece for they they typically say in a referral preparation for surgery so it's not necessarily a term that's Mm -hmm. kind of think well understood but they get the concept through education that we've either delivered or from what they now understand and, and outcomes that they've seen with other patients they've sent to us as well is that okay well this patient did really well with starting really early in intervention and then now they're further down the track recovered and they've recovered earlier than the expected kind of timeline as well so we're seeing more proof in the piece that I think is really reinforced that this is something that that works and takes a lot of pressure off surgeons as well if we can really try and reduce um, modifiable complications in in whatever level. Like that's amazing for the patient, for the medical team um, as well. So we're definitely seeing more of this, which is really, really exciting. Mm, that's um, fantastic, yeah. Because we see better outcomes, like we're seeing patients recover, return to work, um, and with less complications. That doesn't mean that there's absolutely no complications occurring. There's sometimes like just greater forces working against us, but largely patients are re- responding and reporting really, really positive outcomes um, from this, and we're seeing really positive outcomes as well. So it's definitely something that's becoming more. Uh, better understood and better uh, kind of utilised in terms of referring for um, exercise physiology management. But in saying that, um, that doesn't mean that it's not also our responsibility to really try and identify opportunities for prehabilitation um, in patients that haven't necessarily been referred for that. So say, for example, um, they've been referred for management of um, a chemotherapy related um, side effect. So, for example, fatigue. Um, and then you're going through their um, uh, treatment plan um, or treat expected treatment timeline, and they indicate that they have, have um, will likely have radiation coming up. Well, that's that's your role then to identify well, how can we best prehabilitate um, for that, or they've got immunotherapy um, that mm. will, yeah. So, trying to really utilize really look for opportunities that you can integrate this another really common um one that i'm seeing a bit more of is um when people are undergoing genetic testing either after they have a diagnosis or um uh breast um or a gynecological cancer or they have a family history is prophylactic um hysterectomies and oophorectomies as well so removal of the uterus and or the um, ovaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually a really valuable space where we can intervene to try and reduce um, risks for um, complications post-hysterectomy, like things like prolapse um, and pelvic floor-related concerns and really making sure that we're optimising um, pelvic floor strength, lumbar pelvic strength, um, and trying to reduce risks of complications there. That's been another area that we've seen quite good outcomes um, in and preparing for um, transition to to menopause with that um, surgical um, surgical menopause there, yeah. All right. 
That's great. Yeah. Um, that was that was going to lead on to my next point. Uh, and I might be getting a little bit too um, too narrow on this, but is there any evidence at the moment to say there's differing pathway of prehab for different differing treatments? So I think you've kind of alluded to it there. Um, but I guess in your practice, what I wanted to hear is how customized is your outcome measured for the given the given patient's um, cancer mm. treatment or surgery? Are, are we seeing that there's evidence already to show, hey, that there's this um, there's this outcome measure that can be applied for this specific type of um, treatment that they're undergoing, or is that more of an you know yourself a clinical discretion that you're coming to these terms of designing a customized um, outcome measure and um, yeah. pre post um, pre post yeah. surgery and treatment? Yeah, well, that definitely distills more so down to understanding the physiology physiology of different treatment types and their consequences. So ultimately for something, say, like a, um, a prostatectomy, so the removal, if it's a radical prostatectomy, like the removal of the prostate um, and intervention with um, urinary control, well, what does that kind of mean in terms of what do we need to do for a male versus a female, utilising your understanding of physiology and the impacts of that in understanding what the procedures are surrounding the surgery will really kind of inform what you need to be looking for um, in each individual patient because cancer is a really broad area where there's so many different cancer types, so many different treatment types within those cancer types and then subtypes as well, um, which means it's going to be really, really variable. So the best way that you can really kind of... um, uh, optimize your your practice is to understand the physiology of the treatments and what's likely to occur as a result of having a certain treatment um so for example like radiation so radiation burns or fibrosis um uh which can um, reduce range of movement okay well let's Mm. assess baseline range of movement and understand where this person is at maybe they need to have a bit more improvement before they undergo the radiation where they're likely to have further decline in their um, range of movements so um it does probably more so distill down to yeah just really understanding the treatment types and yeah what we, yeah what the implications are so, yeah, kind of yeah. identifying identifying the like you said identifying the the deficit that the treatment or the surgery is going to produce and then um having a good physiological understanding of that and then working back from there really isn't it to yeah, that's right. your, your objective and your subjective assessments um, yeah. that are appropriate for that person and, and yeah. applying that pre and post. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And- hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you're learning a lot in this particular episode. Just a shout out to our sponsor, HGG Performance, which provide very high quality innovative gym equipment and custom fit outs to enable you to pivot your potential and smash your performance and rehab goals. They are world-renowned for their innovative creations in the gym accessory space, including the best-selling ISO Tib LT, Tib Bar, Wrist Axe, and Nordic Bar. And i got to say, we're using some of these equipment in our clinic and finding some great results. Used by professional sports teams, athletes, and coaches worldwide, as well as the military, health practitioners, and apparently even Joe Rogan uses their gear. HGG is a proudly Aussie-owned company that makes all their gym equipment at their Gold Coast HQ. And our partnership with them, we are stoked to offer you 10% discount 
on any product with the code BODYTRACK10 so you can experience what all the hype is about yourself. So jump over to their website, go to the checkout, punch in the code of BODYTRACK10 to get 10% off um, on any of their great innovative gym equipment and start using today. Thanks very much. There is more research. There has been more, more research coming out and in really recent times there's been more research, particularly in the breast and prostate cancer kind of space um about that have kind of looked at different prehabilitation interventions so there's a little bit more objective sort of stuff that you can use as a little bit of a guide if you're really unsure uh, um as well to kind of really help in, inform you there but it's still very much an emerging space within the oncology space that doesn't it doesn't really there's not evidence out there for every single kind of cancer type and different intervention um or how you would really kind of best approach things so Look for the research for sure to really kind of understand, okay, well, this is what we know to be, have really good eff- efficacy in terms of outcomes because some prehabilitation interventions for different treatments will be more effective than, than others. Um, so definitely do your research. But, yeah, you coming back to your clinical um, clinical research, um, clinical reasoning around what and why. Yeah, yeah for sure. And just a very quick side, side uh, question here, best place for you to... Uh, get that research where would you head yeah look um i follow a few different oncology um journals um to be honest so i get a, a little bit of that kind of sent through but um yeah i think um keeping up to date um on on linkedin on our academy sometimes all um upload pa- papers and different important yeah. literature there our resources all have um literature linked there as well um but yeah i think if for this kind of newer emerging sort of stuff definitely like keep yourself on on linkedin with um with different um uh researchers in in the space as well that's where i get a lot of a lot of updates yeah yeah good excellent um we're going to talk into some case studies now caitlin so uh, anything specific for the experiences that you've had with cancer care patients going through this journey of prehab um then getting treatment and then seeing them post. Can you just talk us through, I guess, um, maybe it's a specific case that you have about the subjective and objective analysis that you did, um, knowing when their treatment was uh, coming up and then what impact and results you saw after as well? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and there was actually a um, case conference that I did um, with ESSA, which I think is on there. Um uh, their website, which is free access there as well, that goes into a lot of detail um, about this. So definitely recommend kind of checking that one out and going and spending the time to kind of go through that because it really steps it all the way through from meeting the patient to um, reviewing them long-term and maintenance as well. So um, check that one up for a little bit more detail. But to to summarise, I'll give you an example um, of a um, breast cancer patient who um, came to me during chemotherapy um, and was preparing for a um, bilateral mastectomy. Um, and then during the chemotherapy, after she'd had genetic, genetic testing, found out that she had a BRCA mutation, so was also going to have um, a hysterectomy and an oophorectomy. So we did a lot of different screening um, there for this patient initially around range of movement 
um, around history of um, her gestations um, and her pregnancies as well in relation to preparation for the hysterectomy. Um, we did a pelvic floor um, screening tool and just tried to understand if there was any um, risk factors there for her. Um, and um, she was actually hypermobile. So we were kind of working through understanding, okay, well, what do we need to kind of optimise um, to reduce risk of musculoskeletal and soft tissue um, uh, injury post-surgically? Um, and she'd had some history of some rotator cuff um, pain anthology. So we worked through really trying to optimize that during her chemotherapy. Um, and then really helped her to progress towards the mastectomy, the recovery from the mastectomy whilst all, um, simultaneously preparing for the hysterectomy and oophorectomy and then for radiation after, after that. So in relation to how we prepared for radiation, the biggest consideration was making sure that her shoulder range of movement um was had returned to a suitable level to be able to hold her arms overhead um whilst radiation was delivered um and also yeah reducing the risk of um uh of reducing making sure there's sufficient range to reduce the risk of um radiation um induced fibrosis to um further impair that range so yeah that's a little bit of a summary of a, a fairly Case that kind of covers a few different avenues. Yeah, yeah, mm, that yeah. Quite complex yeah. that one, and um, uh, yeah. but it just comes back to that point we made before: is how you've made it very individualized for the person. Um, you've customized the testing that is going to be appropriate given the uh, treatment that is going to be undertaken, um, and you both also had to, you know, pivot as well uh, with with the um, uh, with the the news of the BRCA mutation as well. So. Um, I think I think the most important thing there is is going back to what we said before. There's no gold standard template per se of of what testing to do. It's understanding the repercussions or the um, decline that may be associated with the with the treatment or the um, yeah the treatment for the for that cancer, and then working back from there to design the most appropriate uh, prehab guide um, for for that patient. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other question I had, going back years, there was, and but it's still it's still a work in progress about exercise being a fundamental approach to cancer rehabilitation. So mm. I know there's been massive improvements in that about um, uh, having exercise as a crucial part of their treatment. Um, so it's really really enlightening to hear that. You can now you start to see they're applying the same uh, exercise prehabilitation principles to oncology treatment as well. Um, that advancement to from from my perspective of being an EP for for twelve years now is phenomenal to see. So I hope it only gets gets stronger. But Caitlin, the question I had for you from that was, how do we actually get cancer patients? active with their prehab what do you feel as an ex-phys um, who has a specialization in exercise oncology how do you feel is the is the best way or, or what ideas do you have yeah. for a, a, another young exercise physiologist who wants to be involved in oncology to actually promote the fact that prehab is such an important and crucial component yeah definitely yeah it's it's what's really 
um, interesting about the oncology space is that when someone receives a cancer diagnosis, it's something called a really um, teachable moment. So it's one of those kind of pivotal, unfortunate things that occurs mm-hmm. in someone's life that makes them really realize, okay, well, I need to do whatever it can, whatever I can, or whatever it takes to improve my out- my outcomes here as much as I can. So. It's a really opportune time at the time of diagnosis to create really strong behavior change um, there as well. So really trying to start with someone as early as possible um, uh, at the time of of diagnosis can be really, really beneficial from our models of behavior change. Um, Mm. And that's something I dive into a little bit more on the case conference actually is, okay, well, what does it, how does it kind of relate to these behavior change um, models as well about this teachable moment um, but I think ultimately it also comes down to educating and promoting that earlier intervention is this research to say that that really does improve outcomes from not only a rehabilitation point of view but also survival outcomes as well in, in some cases so it's a really mm. really powerful tool and a really powerful thing and that's an important thing to leverage in terms of motivation is that this is not just exercising for the great benefits that can be achieved for physical and emotional well-being this is for clinical outcomes at the end of the day so um something we know particularly from prostate cancer surgery is um prostate cancer sorry um uh for men who are about to commence ADT for men that um, start with immediate exercise at the onset of ADT um, have significantly better outcomes um, than men that wait till after. And for those men that wait till after, they don't necessarily reach the capacity um, of of improvement that the men that started during um, or at the time or just slightly before or um, treatment. So yeah. it's mm. really about um, emphasizing the value but also acknowledging where this person is at as well for some people at the time of diagnosis it is not the time to start with an additional exercise intervention it they Mm. might be experiencing distress or severe kind of financial change or toxicity or um they might need some other time and interventions to help support them with other more pressing things like someone's mental health absolutely needs to take precedence in a setting where exercise is not going to help them just to better their mental health they need to redirect their um resources to addressing that first and maybe we can help them in just whatever way we can but diving headfirst into a full intervention isn't what they're ready for so making sure you're evaluating the individual circumstances in those cases, you would definitely be still trying to find ways for that person to be able to try and access and complete as much exercise as they are capable of. But it is also coming down to, well, what's this stage of readiness? Like we're going to get the best outcomes from someone who is at the appropriate stage of readiness. So evaluating that is another really, really meaningful way to to really get good engagement and get good long-term outcomes as well. Yeah. No, that's really well said. And I think it's more people like yourself that are advocating for this and really stepping forward and pioneering the, the, 
exercise and oncology space is I think what is going to get that message even louder and clearer yeah. that prehab is just as vital as any kind of rehab. Um, we often find that it, it has to take something for then people to maybe have a behavior change. Um, but the earlier that we get that, then the better success and outcomes uh, post all the treatment and side effects that are, we know are well aligned with that. Yes. Caitlin, any final, final thoughts before we uh, unveil our answer, which I think is pretty yes. clear from what we've said, but um, any wrap-up points that you had for our listeners uh, before we give yeah. the answer? Yeah, and I think like we concentrated a little bit on kind of the um, the um, major kind of cancers that you, you might see, kind of breast cancer, um, prostate cancer, but this really does apply to all cancer types and mm. uh, it just really distills down to where the person is at in terms of where you're meeting with them um, and where they're at in terms of their stage of the, the cancer care continuum and what their treatment plan really kind of looks like. But you're just looking, don't just look at the now, like look forward at what the um, the plan is kind of moving forward so that you can really make sure that you're getting really good long-term outcomes uh, yep. for, for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. That's our role is to not just look at acute management. Let's look at really long-term um, yep. long management there. Yeah. Definitely. So our question was, at what stage of cancer care continuum is most recommended to start the cancer care patient? And the answer is, Caitlin? As early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know we know that it's going to get the best outcome going uh, as yeah. as possible, and that teachable moment is something that's going to stick with me. I think I think that's a very good thing to um to take out of this as well. Um, it is a time particularly around cancer diagnosis that is um, uh, heavily weighted as well that you can get that behaviour change um, started really really early. So that's uh that's a definitely a big takeaway that I'll take to my practice. Caitlin, it has been a pleasure as always to pick the brain of your exercise oncology specialty. And I'm sure, again, we'll have another podcast coming out within the um, oncology space with uh, the emerging evidence always happening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dan. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So remember to share, like, or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.